It is October 27th. It's 2013. Our message this morning is called Watch Out for That Tree. I love the Lord. I'm excited about what he's going to do here today. Come on, look at your neighbor. He says he's going to do something. If you don't come to church expecting something, you're going to get what you expect, friends. You'd never go to a doctor week after week for him to tell you everything's okay. I hope you're here because you want to be searched by the living God, have his spirit move you. I got kind of a corny start this morning, but I can't help it. And so I'm just going to roll with it. Is that all right? I don't know how many of you remember 1968 or what you remember about 1968. I hope it's not Mustang Sally. Hope <laughs> you telling on yourself, Charlie. I hope it's not some of those things. But they made this little cartoon, and it's stupid as all get out, and yet somehow or another I relate to it. It was called Georgia the Jungle. It was released in 1968. I want you to hear this theme song for just a second, and I promise we're not reducing the gospel to Georgia the Jungle. We will go somewhere with this. George of the jungle, strong as he can be. Watch out for that tree. George, George, George of the jungle lives a life that's free. Watch out for that tree. When he gets in the street, makes his escape with the help of his friend. And eat, eat, deep. Then away he'll slap. Okay. Y'all know what we're talking about now? Listen. This George of the Jungle is a parody of Tarzan. You know, they, they consider Edgar Rice's work, Tarzan, uh, a classic in modern literature. This is not a classic. This is a cheap knockoff. The living God created you for a divine purpose. And the world is trying to pass off a cheap knockoff of Christianity. We have tasted enough dead Christianity to be inoculated from the real thing so that we say the right things we hear the right things we surround ourselves with the right things but the very core of our being is not what it should be and we need a reformation from within one of the things that does draw my heart to this guy as he comes off is big-hearted and dim-witted but you know as I talk to believers they're like, well, you know, I, I just didn't know any better, better, but, you know, God knows my heart. I'm beginning to believe that's just an excuse because we ought to know better. We own Bibles. Then as I began to remember my childhood in this show, I remembered that this guy is slamming into trees in every episode. He's meant to live among them, and he slams into them as if it's a surprise. They're there. Oh, man, we talk about Jesus. We talk about Jesus. We talk about Jesus. But you are surprised when Peter shows up at your front door, even though you've been praying for him to be released from prison. It's like slamming into trees. George, every day in this show, wakes up, and he forgets he lives in a treehouse, and he steps off the, the ledge. Every day, Christians are saying, I know how I'm supposed to live but then we step off and fall off into something that we knew was there all along. 
You know, I was just Google searching and I don't, I don't know what happened. Yes, you do. You knew when you began to Google search what was going to happen. You're lying to yourself. See, this is not real Christianity. Real Christianity is that pit bull faith we preached about last week. It is when you hold to the teachings of Jesus and those teachings put into practice in your life set you free. You know what else about George of the Jungle? His closest friend was an ape. And he named him Ape. Some of you hang around trash all week and then are surprised that you don't look and smell like princess. Oh, I'm, I'm witnessing to them. Really? Are you having an effect on them or are they having an effect on you? Don't tell me that you are hanging out with people who are using dope under a bridge all day and all night and you're witnessing to them. See, it's time for a wake-up call in the body of Christ. It's time for us to get a little bit real. Amen? Turn with me to Genesis 1. Say there when you're there. It's not hard to find. If you can get to the table of contents, you almost made it where you need to be. This morning I will talk to you about fruitfulness for a second. In Genesis 1 and the 28th verse, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Mankind was called to be in charge of the planet. To be in charge of the planet, you'd have to be in charge of yourself. You couldn't be a slave to sin. You couldn't be mastered by some heavenly power. God himself made man in God's image. And he put him over the creation. And he gave him a task. The very first thing he says to him is be fruitful and multiply. We're not going to have a geopolitical lesson this morning, but I'd like you to think about this for just a minute. What do we make as a nation anymore? I mean, you take your wallet out and you look at it, and where's it made? You take your phone and you hold it up, where's it made? Your clothes. In fact, probably the only thing you have says made in the USA was actually just the tag made in the USA. They say we're a nation of consumers. You know what consumers can be proud of? What they consume. So we stand around and we brag about what we bought because we hadn't made anything. We hadn't produced anything. We've not been fruitful. We've not multiplied. We didn't contribute to the world. We were consuming something from the world. And we bred Christians to feel the same way. I'm here to get something from the church. I'm here to get something from the people around. And we think that it's Christianity. The very first thing God ever said to the very first man, be fruitful and multiply. Amen. Did he have problems? Well, there was already sin in the world a long time before he sinned. How do you know that? There's a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We already got some satanic power working through a snake. God said that there was darkness and he spoke light into the darkness that was already there. Have you ever noticed in the creation story that water and darkness are already there? And God separates the light from the darkness and he calls the light good? God's been speaking into people's darkness since day one and separating out 
what is evil from what is righteous so that he can call you to righteous living. And those who want to stand with him, his word to them is be fruitful and multiply. You know, you may be reading a different translation and that's good. We love the translations of the word. I like almost all of them. Here's a few that I think are terrible, but you'll have to guess at which ones. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Your Bible might say replenish the earth and subdue it. The original text is in Hebrew. And the word is male, M-A-L-E, if you transliterate it. It means to fill. It means to replenish. It means to complete. It means to satisfy. It's as if the earth was missing something. And God put a man on it and said, I want you to fill the earth with something. Well, man was made in God's image. And we were supposed to multiply that image around the planet. We were supposed to be the hands and feet of the Lord all over the planet. We were called to be fruitful and multiply, to contribute something to this world, not just look to take from it. Guys, it is a selfish Christianity that treats God like Santa Claus. And when we pray, it's gimme, gimme, gimme. My name is Jimmy. Going to pray for me, Susie, Johnny, us four, no more. It's all about me. And there's a social gospel out there that's become a billion-dollar industry. And it's all it preaches. And the people love it. And they hire for themselves teachers who tickle their itching ears. The gospel does not call you a victim. The gospel does not call you a consumer. The gospel says that you are supposed to contribute, that you are a victor in Christ, that you can do everything through Christ Jesus who strengthens you. It does not say you are down and out. It does not say you have need of everyone around you and that they are put here to support you. You are supposed to be the light on the planet. Your very deeds are supposed to shake the kingdom of hell. Jesus himself said we would do greater things than he did. When was he ever panhandling? When? When did Jesus ever beg anybody? He was the ultimate. And he picked you to be just like him. I will not preach to the lowest common denominator as if we could say, oh, well, this is just the best they can do. They're made in the image of God. And if he breathes the substance of heaven into a repentant heart, then we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. This pitiful preaching that just says if you show up a few Sundays out of the month and throw some change in the plate and don't do anything to get caught so that our ministry is embarrassed, we're happy with that, is a mockery. God, in the book of Malachi, rebuked the people for bringing offerings that were lame. He said, would you bring them to your governor? He rebuked them. But you have to ask, who taught the people that they could bring those kind of offerings? It was the priesthood. So I take responsibility now. We will never water down the gospel in this place. We will never tell you that God is satisfied with something less than a holy life. We will never tell you that He called you simply to be a champion. That is absurd. 
And today's not Friday, friends. It's Sunday. Turn with me to Genesis 9. Listen. All a consumer can be proud of is what they consume. So we brag. I bought this. I ate that. I saw this. We're bragging about what we spent our money on rather than what we made. You know, I never could make a living as a carpenter. Before I was in the ministry, I did all kind of things. But I always found something very satisfying about being in construction. Oh, if that bothers you people that wear ties every day to work, I'd say forgive me, but I'm not apologizing. I don't believe pastors are to have prissy little hands without calluses on them. The men of the Bible were men. And the thing that I liked about working construction, and I I ran businesses, I was an HR director, I did all kinds of things, but the thing that I liked about it is at the end of the day, you could see that you made something. You contributed something to the world. Guys, it's worth asking before we get deep into this message. If your life was gone right now, What would your legacy be? What did you leave behind that contributed something to the world? Are you absolutely certain that your children's faith is rock solid and unshakable? Are you confident that there are souls that are in the kingdom from every year of your life you were in Christ? Think it's funny we read the parable of the sower and we talk about what it means. Are there 30, 60, and 100 fold from your salvation experience? Are you seeing it everywhere because Jesus is not just the center of your life and you're Him. He's the center of your life and your daily practice. I don't go to Walmart without talking to somebody about Jesus. And it's not because I'm a pastor. It turns out that I was a pastor the moment I was born again. It just took me 10 years to actually walk in that. Guys, you were created with a function and it has to do with contributing to this world, not burning it up and using from it. What do you have to give? You have what God has given you. Are you in Genesis 9? I'm not. In Genesis 1, we had the first man. In Genesis 9, then God blessed Noah and his sons. By the way, how many people are on the planet right now? Not not this moment, that moment. Eight, eight in all. Noah, Ham, Shem, Japheth, and their wives. Eight people. Didn't take long for one of them to show himself a sinner. (laughs) Of course, they were all sinners. The Bible is the story of flawed men, regular, ordinary, broken men, moved by a supernatural God to do extraordinary things. Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number, and male the earth, fill the earth, Replenish it, satisfy it, fill it, complete it. I love that God created the world as we know it in seven days. I love it. I believe in the creation, the literal creation. And yet his work is not done. He works to this very day, Jesus said. We are supposed to be completing his work. You were saved from something and for a purpose. It's less than half the message just to be saved from hell. The men who encountered Christ left and worked for him the rest of their lives. And most of their lives 
were laid down for the gospel. In Genesis 9, he says, be fruitful and multiply. Increase in number and fill the earth. The fear and dread of you will fall upon the beast of the earth and the birds of the air, every, upon every creature that moves along the ground and upon all the fish of the sea. They are given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. This is not dietary only, friends. The entire earth was committed into man's hands. Listen to how important this was to God. But you must not eat meat that has life blood still in it. And for your life blood, I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal. And from each man too, I will demand an accounting for the life of his fellow man. A plain reading in that scripture seems to suggest even if an animal killed the human being, God would hold that animal responsible. How precious is every life on this planet to the living God? There are more Christians on the planet now than there have ever been. But there are more lost people on the planet now than there have ever been. Twelve scared little Jewish boys filled with the very power of God shook the world as we know it. In Paul's lifetime, the known world received the gospel. Surely we can cross the street to our neighbors. Surely we can visit the closest prisons, the closest hospitals, the closest nursing homes. Surely in our own workplaces where God planted us, we can be a light to the people who are around us. Who told you to be quiet and just get along? You are here to overthrow the prince of the power of the air. You are here to take your stand against the gates of hell. 1 John 3, 8 says the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Are you working for him or against him? Are you extending the kingdom of God on the earth or are you advancing hell into people's lives with your every action? Are you consuming or are you contributing? We're told that we live in an entitlement nation that half of us now want something for nothing and the other half are supposed to pay for it. I don't mind that we live in an entitlement nation. I mind that we have an entitlement-minded church. We say that we're the sons of God, that the king has the best for us, and we forget that we have to be both willing and obedient. We forget that faith has feet. We forget that our actions show what we believe, and we lay claim to the very best while we do the very worst. Saints, some are waking up some are waking up and realizing the high call of God on every human life. They murder children in this city in a wholesale fashion and we sleep fine at night. They call them elective procedures. When Ronald Reagan was asked if he was pro-choice, he said, I've noticed everybody that is for abortion has already been born. What an astute observation. The church is supposed to be the continuing light of the world. Jesus said in John 8 that he was the light of the world, but he had already declared to his disciples that they were the light of the world. See, you are called to be exactly like him, not a poor, dim reflection. 
Not something that bears a few of the characteristics. Not somebody who gets some of it right. Who adds Jesus to a life that doesn't look like Jesus. And it's a footnote to satisfy our critics. I'm talking about an all-out surrender and abandonment of everything that you valued and taking on His priorities for your life. I don't want to retire well. I'm not looking to build my best 401k. I want to pour my life out for the gospel because He poured out His life for me. It is the only thing that matters. He says again in verse 7, As for you, be fruitful and increase in number. Multiply on the earth and increase upon it. If you think we're only talking about procreation, why are you called sons of God? See, if somebody gives Cody the life-giving word and that revelation is born in his heart and his life begins to be transformed to the glory and power of God, the kingdom has been multiplied. Satan falls from the reins of his life He's put underfoot and Jesus is properly enthroned as his master. And how do you know Jesus is his master? It shows up in his daily actions. When Cody no longer does the things that he did. When Cody no longer sees this as his choice, but he thinks Jesus has already made the choice for him and now his only choice is to be obedient. When he denies himself, takes up his cross and follows Jesus, the kingdom of God is advancing. And friends, if you don't think people take notice, God is darkening the eyes of this nation. I've traveled to most of the, uh, every continent except the frozen one. And there is a darkening going on here. He's dimming the lights so that you can shine brightly. It will be so obvious. Who, a simple smile on your face during a difficult time may be shining a light. You know, Rebecca Bremer in Israel told me, witness everywhere you go and when necessary use words. I believe that your life can read like an epistle and that simply people bumping into you will go, I need to ask that guy the reason for the hope that he has. When's the last time you shined so brightly that people around you grabbed your shoulders and said, I need to ask you something. For most Christians, it's happened at least once in their lives. But I want to ask you, was it the first year you were saved or the 20th? You are not supposed to fade in your spiritual fervor. Fan it into flame. Fan it into flame, saints. This is not about membership. It's not about denomination. It's not about finances or conquest by numbers. It's about every single life that God values. And I don't want them to go to hell. And more than I don't want them to go to hell, I believe this planet is ours. I believe that it is our job to take responsibility. I'm not talking about saving some extinct species of owl. I'm talking about saving human beings, which are the crowning achievement of God's creation. Turn with me to Genesis 28.3. Say what you want to about preaching, but at least I arrange it from left to right in the Bible. I make it easy on your fingers, right? Stephen preached the longest recorded sermon in the New Testament, and he began in the beginning. Here comes Genesis 28. 
in verse 3. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and increase your numbers until you become a community of peoples. Jacob, the supplanter, the deceiver, has just tricked his brother Esau. He just lied to his daddy at the request of his mama, and he's going to have to get out of town. But the prophetic word over him was still, may God increase you and multiply you. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, I'm going to multiply something. You're going to multiply sin or you're going to multiply righteousness. Your life is going to have an exponential effect on others. I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings here, okay? But you might have been a terrible daddy. Let, let's go worse than that. You weren't even there to be a daddy. So I didn't have much influence on my kids. No, your absence has an influence on your kids. Every man was built to influence the world around them. It's our purpose. God put us on the planet to affect the planet for righteousness sake. The call of the gospel is a call to the lordship of Jesus Christ so that he can save humanity, so that he can liberate the planet from its bondage to decay, so that he can establish the kingdom of God on earth. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Today all the church wants to do is go. We're too cowardly to even try. We serve God by going to do our hour somewhere. We talk a good game, some Christianese, just enough to fend off that conviction feeling in our heart. And we go about our business. I'm telling you, the Holy Ghost is calling out a remnant that will not bow the knee to Baal. He is rising up a pure bride for himself that will never be a, associated with that kind of harlotry, a love for the world. And he'll do it in a remnant from every group of believers that you can find. He'll do it across denominational lines. He's not all that invested in your pride. He'll do it across racial lines. He's heard, there's one race, friends, and it's the human race. He will do it across geographical lines, borders or lines we made up on maps. He cares about every human being. He'll send a Jew to Nineveh because he cares about Nineveh. He'll send... Men from the east called Magi to the people of Israel to announce a king is born. The gospel in its heart has to do with you contributing to the world what God has given you. Look at Genesis 28. Oh, no, let's... Yes. Nope. Yes. Genesis 28. I have to decide how much of Genesis we want to preach to you this morning. Are y'all awake? You following me so far? Yeah. You want to learn something? Because I don't think I've told you anything you don't know yet. I really don't. I may be reminding you of something you know. But I don't think I've told you anything you don't know yet. But I'm going to get there. You wait on me, Sam? I'm going to get there. You wait on me, Natalie? We're going to get there. You don't have a choice. Your daddy drove. Come on, y'all love the Lord? Okay, Genesis 28. Look at verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, come on now, a certain place, God has got a spot on the map for you. 
Acts, the 17th chapter, said he determined where you would live. And he set boundaries for you so you would reach out and find him. You think that you decided to come here today? You believe in a really little God. I believe in a great big God who will plant in you the desire to visit a warehouse. I'm okay with being a warehouse. There's nothing wrong with a warehouse if you like what's stored inside. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night. The sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He didn't have a slept comfort pillow. You know why? He was running for his life. There was a death sentence on him. If Esau could catch him, Esau might kill him. I bet if you ask Jacob, he still thought he was a pretty good old boy, though. That's the funniest thing I ever find. I ask, when did you fall head over heels in love with Jesus? And about 50% of the time, the answer is, well, you know, I've been a pretty good guy all my life. I know right there you never met Jesus. If you meet Jesus, the first thing that happens to you is the Holy Ghost brings you to the place where you know that you deserve death. You cannot receive a pardon from a death sentence if you never got the death sentence. That's one of the things that's wrong with what's going on around us. People are trying to enter the race and they're not going through the narrow gate. They're not starting at the, the crucifixion of the cross. They're hopping over the wall and climbing in other ways. Now, I've been a pretty good guy all my life, but then I decided to trust Jesus. Well, you're not trusting him if you've been pretty good all of your life. The rest of us came to a place where we realized we were monstrous sinners in the hands of God, but he wasn't angry as we were told. He was loving. And he had the power to change our hearts if we would give him all of our lives. And then he began to free us from the chains of sin. He put under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth. I hope you never heard that Led Zeppelin song. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Dear Jesus, help me not to preach John 1. I'm going to mention John 1. In the first chapter of John, the last couple of verses, Jesus meets a true Israelite. Israelite means prince with God. A true Israelite in whom there was no guile, nothing false. He wasn't putting on an air. He was whatever he was. And Jesus says the most astounding thing to him. The guy calls him the Messiah and he says, you believe because I saw you sitting under a fig tree? What happens if you see the heavens open and angels ascend and descend on the Son of Man? Now to us, we go, wow, that's just really pretty. The place where Jacob laid that rock down was called Bethel. In Hebrew, Beth or Bet is house. El is one of the many names of God. Where Jacob laid down and had this dream of access to the heavens. He called it the very house of God. And Jesus looks at Nathaniel and says, what if you see the angels ascend and descend on me? It's almost as if he's saying, I am the very house of God in a very Jewish way. 
Nathaniel listened closely enough to follow him for the rest of his life and give his life for the gospel. Have you found the very house of God or do you just go to some worship center and call it a house of God? Have you become the house of God? Can people find access to the heavens through looking at your life? Are you a reflection of Jesus? Are you simply a placard that says some true things about Jesus, but your life looks nothing like him? You know what is most damaging to the world around us? It's not Satanist. It's not atheist. I'd say it's the false Christians who follow them. Because they say so many things that are right, but they live like hell. And so everybody thinks that grace is greasy, agape is sloppy, and grace is a license for immorality. But the revelation that is falling upon the church, the real church, is that God requires holiness. And that it will never be obtained through your efforts. He wants you to multiply His presence on the earth and to multiply it, he has to be inside of you. He has to. There's nothing good that dwells in the flesh, but when heaven breathes into a man credited with righteousness, everything that heaven is can be found in your life. When we get together, saints, you're to be encouraged by what you see your brothers have overcome, not comforted that they stumble and stagger and fall and are shackled to the same things you are. Church is not an AA meeting. This is a gathering of the sons of God come to repair the planet. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord and he said, I am Yahweh, the God of your father Abraham, the God of Isaac. And I will give your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. We were grafted in, friends, into this nation. Once foreigners and aliens cut off from God, grafted into this very promise that every person on the planet would be blessed through those who became princes with God. The Great Commission is not the great option or the great elective. It was a commission. We are supposed to multiply God's presence by taking the gospel to the lost. What has destroyed our confidence? Have we become entangled in things that we shouldn't? You know, there is nothing that feels better than seeing people who have never heard the gospel receive it. Who was in Peru? Raise your hands if you were in Peru. Those mountains were high, weren't they, Michael? Were they worth it? You remember Roy's face when he got filled with the Holy Ghost. Friends, this is something you can't buy on Amazon.com. As addictive as Starbucks is, there's no such thing as a, as a Trenta or, or a, a, a Venti uh, that you can buy from them that is as good as getting filled with the substance of heaven. I want you to see his response to these things. I am with you. This is God still speaking, verse 15. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, and I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised for you. 
I find it amazing that the man's running for his life after having sinned greatly and God is so kind, except that's exactly what happens to every real believer. Guilty, 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 twice over guilty, and God shows up in the middle of it and shows us kindness. Look at verse 16. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, say that with me, awoke from his sleep. Oh, one more time, say it to your neighbor, awoke from his sleep. Now, if your neighbor's still sleeping, we're going to pray next that God slap him. Sometimes we just need to wake up, friends. Sometimes the apostle Paul said, wake up, O sleeper, that God's light might shine upon you. Listen to what he's waking up to. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. I want to tell you that the Lord is in this place, whether you're aware of it or not. But you can wake up to his presence. He's not far from any one of us because he desires to enlist you in his army. You don't know what I've done. I don't care what you've done. You don't know who I am. I know who you can be. We serve a God who looks at a man hiding in a wine press, threshing wheat, and calls him a mighty warrior. A man who is refusing to go to Egypt and do what God's called him to do. Begging for someone else to do it. And God turned his heart around and he becomes one of the greatest leaders the world's ever known. We serve a God who takes scared fishermen and tax collectors And he uses them as an instrument to spread righteousness around the world. Don't tell me he can't use you. God is bigger than your inability. He's bigger than what you've already done. The potential of the kingdom is at the tips of our fingers. Do you know that the Gospel of Luke in the 12th chapter and 32nd verse says, Do not be afraid, my little flock. The Father delights in giving you the kingdom. He delights in it. We just have to delight in it too. Do you want the kingdom this morning? Surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Friends, I have not found the place Bethel. I mean, I've I've been there. But that's not what I found. I found the man, man who is Bethel. I want to multiply his presence everywhere I go. Do you know what Jacob does next? The very next thing, there's a response to a revelation. It's not enough to know the revelation only. It says, early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and he set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Now some of you hear this and you go, oh, there it comes. You've been so burned or at least you claim to be. By what you call organized religion, you say, all they want is your money. Understand something, I don't want your money. I never have. To me, money is nothing more than I need a certain amount of it to do what God's called me to do, and I don't want a dollar more. I won't take a bit of it with me when I go. 
We don't pass a plate because I believe that you should not have to be prompted. I believe that if we teach you who you are, if heaven is born in your heart, I won't have to tell you how to act. But I do want to tell you there is a response to a revelation. He didn't realize God was in the place and just walk away and go, I know where God is. He did something. He set up a memorial, a marker, something to remember it by, a, a, a place in time. And then he committed himself to action. From that moment forward, he said, a tenth of everything that I ever get will be yours. Ten carrots come out of the ground. One of those carrots is God's. You ought not even have to tell a Christian that. Say, but some clown on TV stole my mama's estate. Well, I'm sorry, did y'all not own Bibles? I I'm sorry, somebody lied to you and you couldn't read? The Bible tells believers how to act. If a televangelist lied to you and it burned you, I'm sorry you should have read the book for yourself and not taken the easy way out. I come from Baton Rouge, Louisiana, friends. I know a little bit about this stuff. But when heaven was born in my heart, I picked up my Bible and I began to consume it as the bread of heaven. And what men told me about it confirmed experiences in me and what I saw in the Word and maybe bumped me and directed me in new directions of pursuit. But I did not need somebody to spoon feed me what was mine. Are you a son, daughter of God? Where is your daily bread? Not weekly, not Wednesdays and Sundays. Where is your daily bread? It's yours. You are supposed to seek the God of heaven and He will give it to you. If we don't seek, we don't get. Doesn't the Bible say you have not because you ask not? And you cannot give people what you do not have. Maybe that's why there's so many books and pastoral help sections of bookstores on sermon starters and sermon illustrations. You know, this reminds me of a story. Yeah, why don't you get in the presence of God, friend? Reminds me of a story too. A man who searched the word daily and missed Jesus. Saints, we were called to multiply His presence. Can somebody say amen to that? In Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you see a revelation that went through generations. What started in this family, in Steve's family, ought to carry on in the next generation. And in the generation after that, God builds relationally, He builds generationally, and He builds on a revelation. He calls it a rock. What he invested in Peter, he expected the next generation to have. That's why we dedicate the Adarmas child. What has God given you that you are multiplying? What has he deposited with you that we could write you a letter and say, what God has given you in trust to reliable men? What are you passing on? What is your life speaking into others? Turn with me to Genesis 35. See, we're getting ever closer to the Newer Testament. In Genesis 35, starting in verse 9, after Jacob returned from Padan Aram, I want you to get this, before he was running for his life, now he's worked for Laban, he's acquired some wives, he's acquired some stuff. And you know what he's doing now? Running for his life. 
You don't have a single problem that money will fix. I know you think you do. I know you think that if you hit the lotto, it would all be okay. Look at the lottery winners and tell me if their lives are okay. I know that we've been taught that those who are healthy, wealthy, and successful, this is the model of Christianity on the earth. I can't find it in the Word. I find that these men were at the end of the parade, but Jesus was enough. That our light and momentary troubles were not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed. I don't want to be a millionaire. I want a million souls. I don't want to show people the excellency of the gospel through carnal things. Those are parlor tricks, trinkets. It's a ridiculous sham. The excellency of the gospel is that I was a slave bound and I stand before you today with no chains upon me. That's the excellency of the gospel. Where did I tell you? 35.9. I might preach a little. We'll see what happens. And God said to him, nope. After Jacob returned from Padan Aram, God appeared to him again and blessed him. God said to him, your name is Jacob, but you will no longer be called Jacob. You will be called Israel. So he named him Israel. He got a name change, a character change. His body of work, his authority, his reputation, what the Jews call a shim, was changing. God didn't appear to him once at an altar at a sinner's prayer, never to speak to him again. He appeared to him an even second time. I won't argue with you about a second blessing. I don't care what your theology is. I will tell you there's 10,000 blessings and 10,000 times 10,000. I am be, being filled with the Holy Ghost every day. I'm not going to stop now. I'm not going to settle for what I already have. I'm going to crave the substance of heaven every day, all day. I will drink as much as He will give me. I'm not intimidated to find out there's more. I won't hide behind a doctrine. As far as I can tell, the men in Acts were dependent upon the power of the Holy Ghost every day. Believers were filled, 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 and filled again and still need to be filled. Apparently, friends, it's like we leak. <laughs> I was joking. I'm sorry. It's the last joke. After Jacob returned from Padan Maram, God appeared to him again and blessed him. God said to him, your name is Jacob. You will no longer be called Jacob. Your name will be Israel. So he named him Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. I'm not going to preach to you about that, but I can mention it. Today, you can take a New Ungers Bible dictionary. You can take topical dictionaries. I'll say, you know, we're not sure what, what God Almighty means. Some will say it means the many-breasted God. Some will say it means the all-sufficient God. They all propose something. I would say that the people who carried the language for some 4,000 years ought to know what it means. And the universal testimony of the Jewish people in the Talmud, the Babylonian Talmud, the Jerusalem Talmud, is that the word she, even today, she, S-H-E, means who? Shaday is enough. The God who is enough. You know what lesson Jacob was learning? Jacob was learning the very same lesson that his father Abraham had, had learned. You know when God first spoke to Abraham and said, I am El Shaddai. He says it in Genesis 17, 1. I am El Shaddai. Do you know what happens in Genesis 17? Abraham had messed up with Hagar. 
You know, the next time it shows up in the word, it's when Isaac has to send his son off to a foreign land in Genesis 28. And now that Jacob has returned from a foreign land and his brother still wants to kill him, God shows up and says, I am El Shaddai. It's like he in himself is enough for you. You don't need a new program. You don't need some new scheme. You don't need a new bumper sticker or a Christian t-shirt. You need the God who is enough for you. And you need to eat of his presence every day. You need to be in the business of multiplying his presence. And God said to him, I am El Shaddai. Be fruitful and increase in number. And Jacob again responds to this revelation by pouring oil on a rock, by setting up a testimony. What in your life is the testimony of obedience that shows the faith that you claim you have? Say, who are you, pastor, to call into question my faith? Well, why do you go to the doctor? Doesn't he call into question your health? Hmm? If your pastor will not call into question your faith, you should find a new pastor. Real faith, genuine faith, stands trials. It can be stricken against a stone. Our God is a tester of metals. And it shows itself to be real. Guys, I don't need anybody to convince me I'm saved. His spirit bears witness with my spirit. When you sit in a service and you hear these things, can you just not wait for it to be over? Do you sometimes feel a gut-wrenching clenching in your spirit because you know you're not right with God and then descends the battle of the intellect? And we say, no, 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 I, when I was eight, I got right with God and that was enough. No, God is enough for you. Your USDA Christian stamp that you got at some factory for Jesus, it doesn't do anything for you. You either have been born of God or have not. There's life in you that's from God or there's not. Turn with me to Acts 20. Can I share with you something that Jesus said that is not recorded in the Gospels? In Acts 20, here comes verse 35. If one of you dare twist this into the prosperity gospel, I'm a peaceful, loving man, but when we pray, the heavens move. You will be in my crosshairs. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed, what's it say? It is more blessed to give than to receive. You know what's prob what a problem with a nation of consumers is? They receive, but they don't give. They receive, they receive, they receive. They're like the Dead Sea being poured into, poured into, poured into. But it's never enough. There's no life in that. And there never will be life in it. It's the lowest spot on the planet, the Dead Sea. Why? It receives all the best. You would think it would be the best. God created you to contribute to the world. He put a purpose in the heart of every man. Life is not worth living if you have no purpose. And a hundred percent of people who take their own lives do it because they do not know their purpose. 
The living God will give you a revelation of who He is. And as you dwell in who He is, He will show you who you are. I'm going to flash through a few scriptures for you. We're going to throw them on a screen. If you're smart, you'll write them down. And then I promised to preach to you about trees, and I haven't really gotten there. Isaiah 58, starting in verse 6, Is this not the kind of fasting I have chosen, to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke and to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Listen to a very practical application of the word. Is it not to share your food with the hungry? You know, if you hear that and you carry a hungry sign, you're pretty convinced that the word is telling you that everybody else out there was put here to feed you. Friends, that's a consumer. The better question is, if somebody gave you something, do you share it with the people around you? And when do you work to produce something to share with the rest of the world? See, you rob a man of everything that makes a man or a woman like God when we receive only. We were put here to contribute. You want to destroy a people, the fastest way to do it is steal their purpose. The bears in Yellowstone have learned to live off the scraps people give them. So an animal that can run 30 miles an hour, climb trees, swim, and no mammal on the planet can stand up to is reduced to eating garbage. You are made to be in the presence of God. Don't tell me what you can't do. Don't tell me that you have health problems and that's what... No, no, no. We serve a healing, empowering God. And I have seen people with no legs push a Bible with their forehead to church as they pulled themselves by their hands. I saw a man, and so did many of you in India, with tuberculosis. We prayed for him, and an 80-year-old man rode his bike some 20 kilometers to church the next day because he tasted of the presence of God and wanted more. Wasn't supposed to live four months. In the next four years, I went to India. I met him every year. He's happier and healthier every year. Tell me God doesn't heal. Share your food with the hungry and to provide for the poor wanderer with shelter. When you see the naked, to clothe him and to turn, not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Friends, your flesh and blood are not the people who live in your house with you. Your flesh and blood is humanity. Look at the eighth verse. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Notice he doesn't say all of those things come before your faithful actions. He says they come after. We want all of the blessing and we want to do none of the work. Maybe that's why James says faith without deeds is dead. It's not real faith. It doesn't qualify. See, a real saving faith shows up in your actions daily. And God honors faith. It's not that you're purchasing something with your deeds. The deeds show the genuineness of your faith. I don't have any problem looking at a man says, who says, I love Jesus, looking him right in the eye and say, prove it. The 26th chapter of Acts says that Paul taught the Gentiles to turn to God and prove it by their deeds, and it's nowhere found in our preaching. 
How about Luke 14? Luke 14, verse 12. I'm going to quit this topic here in a second. Can you all hear a little more? Joel, can you hear a little more? Lindsay, can you hear a little more? Can you hear some more, Justin? All right, well, if I got three to preach to, that's enough. I don't know what the rest of you all are going to do, but I'm going to preach to them for three more minutes. Luke 14. Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. Be repaid. We only invite you. Do you really invite somebody over so that they will invite you over? I doubt many of you are doing that. That's not the point. The point is this statement. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. And there's a reason. You will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Are you living for what you can get right now, what you can consume right now, or what you can contribute to the world? and it will be added to you in the world to come. See, this is the heart of the matter. Do you fellowship only with those who can do something for you? I heard the most sickening thing on KSBJ, and in general, I'm a fan of Christian radio, but I'm going to call it out because it's true. Four o'clock in the afternoon the other day, Jennifer and I are driving in the car, and you know how I can be. I got wound up. Lady says, you know, friends, you may consider going to church this week. You never know what will happen. We're not saying it makes you a better person or even a better Christian. Then what kind of church are you going to? She said, but let's just say you have no job. You might hear something that encourages you while you're at church, and you might meet somebody who helps you find a job. I thought, this is, this is what Christianity is. Might as well be a Zig Ziglar meeting. Might as well be multi-level marketing. It doesn't help you become a better Christian, then why would you go? Oh, you go because somebody there might have something that you can consume. If it wasn't my own radio, I'd have punched the radio. Don't let me ride in your car and listen to radio. You remember the time I saw the license plate that said the apostle? Yeah. Good thing I didn't have a bumper guard at that time. Listen, that is not right. Could they be well-meaning? Could they be in love with the Lord and made a mistake? Yes, I do it every day. You follow me around, you're going to find a lot of that. But it is not right. Christians are looking to what we can add to the world, not what we can take from it. And if you don't walk in here hoping to leave better than you came, stop coming. You hear me? I'm not looking to farm people uh, in here. We're, we're, we do not want people to simply sit on their salvation. I'm looking for men that will charge hell with a water gun. I'm looking for women who want to raise up spiritual daughters. You know why? That's what the Lord is looking for. I could care nothing for wealth or prestige. If I wanted that, I'd have chased it in some other arena, but certainly not warehouse Christianity. I'm proud of our warehouse. We built it. How many of you ever hung an air conditioner? I mean, that's miraculous right there. We rented a man lift and then had to return it because we didn't have enough money and we did it on scaffolding. 15 tons of AC from a scaffold. And I'm old and fat. There's going to be a resurrection of the righteous, friends. 
And I want to be in their number. Amen? Don't let me stir up you Saints fans. Don't get me started on America's idolatry. How about Matthew 10, 8? Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. You know who cannot freely give? That who did not freely receive. You can't go heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, and drive out demons if you don't believe it because it never happened to you. I happen to believe it. Seen it on every continent. I cannot, I mean, it is the most shocking thing in the world that what used to be instruments of violence. You know, when I look at my hands, I see all kinds of things. Today they're scarred. Where, thank you, JJ, for working me this week. And Michael for laying flooring. Where you at, Brent? I fired a nail through this one. I caught a razor here. I have scars for things that I don't even want to tell you about. And you know what? God doesn't mind. He'll anoint an ordinary person's hands to do extraordinary things. How many of you were with us in Mexico when the woman got out of the wheelchair? Or in India where the old demon-possessed man carried his mat and went home and the children cheered for Jesus? Not great stories of great men. Broken Ordinary men that believe God's presence is multiplied as your faith has feet and shows up in deeds. I believe that when Alex prayed about the laws in Haiti, the God of heaven heard him. I think the only thing that pleases God, Hebrews 11:6 says, is faith. I don't think faith is positive thinking. I believe we face the fact that our bodies are as good as dead and yet are persuaded that God can perform what He promised. Just like Romans 4 says. But that's not what I'm preaching about. Go with me to Hebrews 13. It'll be the last thing on multiplying. Through, <laughs> through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. The fruit of lips that confess His name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others. For with such sacrifices God is pleased. Many Christians have the lips part down. We offer in praise with our lips. But the writer of Hebrews, a very Jewish book, says, and do not forget to do good. Christianity that talks a good game and does not walk a good game has not impressed the world. It has not won the hearts of the lost. It is a laughing stock. Now, I'm going to tell you, I don't put up with it when I talk to people. When they say to me, well, churches are full of hypocrites, I say, well, why don't you come be a real Christian then? If the problem's all of us, you come show us how it's done. I say, well, church is just full of so... Okay, well, you come help me change it. But don't stand back and whine and make your excuses and think God will hold you innocent because you talked a good game. He is a righteous and holy God. You know, it occurs to me as we talk about these things, it could be heavy. Could it be heavy, Brother Treaster? There's a church not far from us that talks a lot about compassion fatigue. I don't know what that is. I think it's laughable. They say they have to do fun things because these are heavy subjects, heaven and hell. Then why didn't Jesus build an amusement park? 
because he was too busy building the kingdom. He was building the kingdom of God one life at a time. And God is building it the same way today through you. One life, one family, one nation, turning it around by the transforming power of the gospel. This talk could be hard. Turn with me to Mark 8 and watch how easy it's going to become. Watch out for that tree. Say there when you're there. Matthew, Mark, somebody said, finally, the New Testament. I expect you to know the New Testament. I preached you out of the Older Testament because people have been handing you New Testament since about the second grade. Are you on Mark 8? Here comes Mark 8, verse 22. They came to Bethsaida and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. What did they beg Jesus to do? Touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? How many of you want to be healed? What would you think if you came to a healing service and a man went... Mark's obsessed with it. He talks about Jesus spitting more than any other gospel. Do you see anything? I bet the guy would say, no, but I hear you doing something. <laughs> when he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Now that begs a question, how did the man know what trees look like? Maybe he was not born blind. In John 9, there's a man born blind. That seemed to be a special kind of miracle. In this case, the first thing that he sees is men walking around who look like trees. Curtis asked me what that meant. I tried to be honest. I said, Curtis, I don't know. But not satisfied with that, I went home and got my Bible out. Are you satisfied to not know? Is ignorance bliss for you? Do you just want to hire somebody, some holy man on a holy day and holy garb to tell you a bunch of holy garbage? See, the kingdom is built on the fact that you can hear from God. And I turn to the book of Genesis, just like I'm going to ask you to do. And the second chapter of Genesis, I didn't have to read very far. Say there when you're there. Second chapter of Genesis, starting in verse 7. The Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils... I'm trying to speak Hebrew now. Breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden... And there he put the man he had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground. Trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the trees of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. It occurred to me that before God even looked at a man and said, Be fruitful and multiply, he put him in a garden and surrounded him by trees that by their very nature were fruitful 
and multiplied. The tree of life, it multiplies life. The tree of knowledge of good and evil multiplies the knowledge of good and evil. Causes death. See, there is an example standing right next to the man. Be fruitful and multiply just like that tree. What does a tree have to do? You ever walk by a tree and heard it going, probably not. They don't strain to produce fruit. It's not by their hard work and their effort. They simply dwell in the light. You're supposed to dwell in the light of God's Word, friends. They are watered. The Holy Spirit of God will water the Word in your heart. He will show you what it means. He will multiply it in you so you can begin to preach it to others. And a tree, it's got a good root system. You're rooted in our shared faith. And as we meet together and we share our trust in the Lord, our roots get deeper and deeper. You'll never hear a tree strain to be a tree. Men are just like trees. If you say, Pastor, you know, that's one verse and you tell us not to build doctrines out of a verse, go with me to Luke 3. Say there when you're there. Nobody's there. Getting there. Pastor, I'm getting there. Where's Dustin today? He's always there. Luke 3. There. Are y'all sleepy? You hungry? What are you hungry for? <laughs> Here comes Luke 3. How about verse 9? Oh, for fun, let's do 8. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown in the fire. What should we do then, the crowd asked. I love the Jewish nation. Listen to what they, they didn't ask what to believe. They asked what they should do because they know that what they do shows what they believe. John answered, the man with two tunics should share with him who has none and the one who has food should do the same. In other words, friends, you should contribute to society, not consume it. Tax collectors also came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more money than you're required to, he told them. The son, then some soldiers asked him, what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. What's he saying? Do your job. That's not a problem. Do your job and don't want to take from others. That's at the heart of what he's saying. Because if heaven is born in their heart, in addition to doing their job and not wanting to be a recipient, they will want to contribute. They will want to produce fruit. They will want God to be proud of them. They will want to do things that are such glorious exploits of faith that heaven is amazed at their behavior. Turn with me to Luke 10. Say there when you're there. Now go to Acts 10 because I lied about the last scripture. I rarely lie when I'm preaching. Is there an axe at the root of your tree? Did God plant a seed in you? But you didn't water it. 
You didn't dwell in the light. He came back. He dug around it. It's funny. We, we relate all those parables to Israel, and we think they don't apply to us. It's kind of like we want all the good stuff and none of the difficult. Is the axe at your root? You remember Jesus cursed a fig tree? Y'all remember that? Why? Because it produced no fruit. Do you remember that a branch in John 15 to bear fruit has to stay connected to Jesus? And if it doesn't stay connected, it can't bear fruit. And a branch that doesn't bear fruit is... You don't have to consult the commentary to find out what that means. Read it and ask yourself, what is the most obvious reading here? But it doesn't deal well with my theology. Well, change your theology. Do you feel fruitful? God didn't say consume and multiply. He said be fruitful and multiply. Are you a fruitful Christian? As I read this, I realize it could be condemning. So I wanted to see what else God said about trees. Acts 10.39 We are witnesses of everything He did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed Him by hanging Him on... But God raised him from the dead and on the third day caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen. By us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through His name. If you've not been fruitful, you can be forgiven. But you cannot be forgiven in a scenario where you don't believe you did anything wrong. We have been taught grace to no effect. We've been taught faith to no effect. We confess Jesus well, but He cannot be seen in many lives. Friends, this is sin of the highest order. The Bible actually teaches it would be better to not have known than to know and wander away. I want you to understand Jesus died in the religious capital of the world at the hands of the most religious people that ever lived on the highest and holiest religious day available in the spring. Not enough to go to church. Not enough to talk a good game. Turn with me to Jeremiah 17 as we wind out. Let's see if we can sew these ends back together. Some of you Bible scholars would like to jump down a few verses, but I think it's best we start in the first. Judah's sin is engraved with an iron tool inscribed with a flint point on the tablets of their hearts and the horns of their altars. Look at verse 4. Through your own fault you will lose the inheritance I gave you. I will enslave you to your enemies in a land you do not know, for you have kindled my anger and it will burn forever. I love that we teach about grace. It is so important. It was grace to be delivered from Egypt. I love that we teach about baptism. Paul says they were baptized when they went through the Red Sea. 
I love that we teach about the leading of the Spirit. They were led by the Spirit as they followed a cloud in the desert. I love that we preach about eating the Word daily. They ate heavenly food that fell from the heavens daily. And you know what? We love to preach about the new covenant when the Word of God will be inscribed upon our heart. But you know, before God inscribes the Word on a man's heart, what's inscribed upon his heart? His sin. We're obsessed with making sure people's self-esteem is right. Making sure that nobody has a negative self-image. Maybe the conviction of the Holy Ghost is falling upon human beings so that all they see when they look at themselves is sin. Because that's how you cry out for a change. Saints, the gospel that says you're not really a sinner, you're a pretty good person, much like everybody else, is a lie. The truth is, the way we come to a saving faith is through a crucifixion. If you have never received a death sentence from God, then you cannot receive a pardon. The Holy Ghost first convicts the world of sin, and then He shows us the path of righteousness. If you didn't get the death sentence, then you're pretty sure the way you're going is just fine. And therein lies the problem. Everybody claims to have Jesus, but they're going their own way. What does Jeremiah 17 say as we move to verse 7, though? But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in Him. He will be like a tree planted by the water, that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when the heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought, and it never fails to bear fruit. Never fails to bear fruit. I want to tell you that the living God is able to plant you in the light of His Word in the water of His Spirit, and in the rooting of our shared faith, the Holy Ghost is able to baptize you into the body of Christ. But He will never do it for the man that has not received his death sentence. I love that you were raised around church. I love that maybe you knew John 3.16 from the first time that you went to a baseball game. And when we ask you if you're a Christian, you say, yes, since a child. When we ask you, when did you fall head over heels in love with Jesus? When did your life change in such a way that your closest relatives said, what happened to him? You stutter and stumble all over the place. It is not Christianity to have prayed a sinner's prayer when you were six and lived like hell ever since. You know, in the Reformation, they, they had to fight against infant baptism. People thought they were Christians because they were baptized as children. Now most of us Protestants have acknowledged that can't be true. An involuntary action cannot be saving faith. might be dedication, but it's not saving faith. And yet, those very same Protestants look and go, oh, you have been a drug dealer and a prostitute and you've been murdering, but you were saved when you were eight? Well, then you're saved. 
By the way, how were you saved? Oh, well, somebody led me uh, with my eyes closed and I raised a hand. Good for you. And were you baptized? Yes, I was baptized. When did your life ever change? It didn't. That's not salvation. Salvation is when everything about you is in the process of reformation. And it's born of heaven. The old life has died and the new life has come. You know, Charlie is an elder in this church and I have come to rely on his wisdom many times. Who was here Wednesday? Those of you that were here Wednesday, you saw it. When speaking with somebody that I love, they weren't receiving it. So I stood at the church and I asked the church for help. And you guys did great. You applied the word and the first one to speak was an elder. And we saw a sinner come to repentance and walk in restoring power. You know why we did it? Because Matthew 18 says to do it. It doesn't matter that churches don't do it. We do because the word says to do it. Now I want you to hear what else the word says. But first, Charlie sent me a picture you need to see. Life has no remote. Get up and change it yourself. I want you to understand something. You cannot go on autopilot. God will slam you into a tree. You know what the tree is, friends? The tree is every Christian you ever met that did something kind for you. Everybody that you ever consumed from without a thought of contributing to. Falling out of a tree house daily. This is when we know that we should live in the presence of God, but every day when we step out the door, we plan to live like any normal man. And if you've got friends that are apes, find new friends. It's time for the body of Christ to shine. The words of James are probably where we should close. This is James, the first chapter. You can put the remote sign back up. It tells people what to do. The first chapter and the 21st verse. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word. What's that say? Planted in you, which... What's it say? Can change... No. Can save you. Humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Hearing the word does not save a man. It's when you get a revelation and like the sign says, you get up and decide to do something different in response to the revelation. It is not enough to sit back and simply know something is true. That makes you guilty, friends not saves you. <laughs> Read the 11th and, chapter, and 12th chapter of Luke. Tell me what happens to the man who knows his master's will and does not do it. He's beaten with many blows. That's what Luke says. Beaten with many blows. Have you known God's will but never been fruitful? Today is your day to change. How do you do it? Well, you let the word be planted in you. You don't sit back and rely on a remote control. You get up and decide to do something about it today. Consider the very first calls of Jesus. Come with me and I will make you fishers of men. 
not come with me and I will teach you to consume. I will get you rich. I will make sure you're happy, fat, and well-fed. Actually, they were going to follow him to a death sentence. But they would be productive. Did you come to consume something this morning? Or to contribute? Because standing among you are trees of righteousness. They're planted by streams of cool water and they're bearing fruit. You need to watch out for those trees. They're going to stand in judgment one day of the whole world. The nation of Israel set their hopes on Moses. Moses is standing in the presence of God. But Jesus said to the religious leaders of his day that he didn't condemn them. Moses would rise to condemn them because they didn't listen to what Moses said. Why watch out for those trees? Because every time you meet one real Christian in your lifetime, you have no excuse. You have a Bible, and you've met at least one person that tried to contribute something to your life. You have no excuse. You've seen it done. Now you need to decide what you're going to do about it. Sit in silence. Claim salvation. Walk out the way you came in. Or is this your moment where you decide to get up and change it yourself? By change it yourself, I mean fall at the hands of a merciful God and let Him fill you with His power so you can change it. Stand to your feet.